I guess first things first, Simon, we typically do need to characterize the investment themes for this year, right? High inflation, rising interest rates, even though they have dissipated slightly, the moves made by central banks and certain sectors of the economy uh, and companies that uh, showed a lot of strain. But other than that, technology stocks really do appear to have uh, driven much of the local and international performance. Your thoughts on this before we do take a look at the various ETFs and their performance so far? I think you're totally right. It was it was a technology year. We must remember it was only 30 November last year when uh, OpenAI relaunched the ChatGPT 3.5. We've now got version four. Google's come with their Gemini, um, and and stocks in the artificial intelligence space have had a phenomenal year. Also off a lower base, and that's because we will remember last year we had the bear market. Um, everything went down. The NASDAQ was probably down 30, 35%. So a lot of it was catching up what it had lost, but take nothing away. Tech stocks, you're right. They had an absolutely phenomenal year. And, and, and the story was all around the interest rates, the inflation, locally com- commodity prices. But of course, tech is to a fair degree uh, immune from those concerns. Mm, 100%. I, I do see, in, according to your newsletter that you shared with us earlier this week, just looking at the list of uh, some of the best performing uh, ETFs, <coughs> a lot of them have exposure to international markets, right? Uh, where I guess there's a strong favor and strong exposure uh, uh, and diversified scope of technology sc- uh, stocks. Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the beauty of these ETFs is that you're buying uh, U.S. stocks, uh, tech stocks, just the index, whatever, even Japan, India, or, or Europe, um, and you buy it in rands and they convert it into the other currency. So the rands lost about 12% against the U.S. dollar this year. So you, you get an immediate 12% return because of that uh, uh, currency weakness, which which certainly then you know, helps adding to the to the gains that you've made over the course of the year. And these are inflation beating returns. I do see on average uh, the 20% improvement we've seen in many of these uh, uh, ETFs. Surely this should leave many investors impressed then. Absolutely. This is this is a poster year for passive investing. I, I don't think I've seen returns like this before. It, there are circumstances, as I said, bear markets, currency weakness. Yeah. Um, but it has been in, in, in the right stocks. It's been a weird sort of year in the right stocks. You've done incredibly well. Our local market uh, and our local ETF I'm running down the list because it's far down. It's green, mm. but we're only a couple of, we're 3% in the green year to date, including a dividend. Um, inflation, what was announced five and a half today. So you're a couple of percentage points behind inflation. Mm, very true. And I think that's really important for us to be mindful of as investors, especially those who still continue to engage in the argument of passive versus active and uh, stock selection versus ETFs. And of course, the kind of ETFs that one should actually be invested in. But uh, I guess, does this just stand true to, again, if you have a long term strategy and understand the fundamentals of the ETFs that you're investing in, um, then fundamentally over the long term, there should be some positive growth that you witness. Absolutely. And I think you make a great point there, which is understand the ETF you're invested in. Uh, you know, there's, there's there's three different flavors of tech ETF on, on our market, um, and they've all done differently. They've all got positive years, but, you know, the top one's up over 70%. And I think the the, the, the third of the three is pr- around 20, or there it is, 23%. So you have to understand how they made. Now, that can immediately start getting complex in terms of what are the rules, how do they 
pick those stocks which they then put into the index to take into the ETF. Um, but but it is a case of there are the very generics. I mean, just an S and P five hundred. That's just you know the five hundred biggest stocks in the US. Uh, and in that case, I mean, there we saw returns of over sixty percent this year. It, it has been phenomenal returns. And to your point of the the active passive, there's probably not many active managers who did better than this. And the challenge would have been is knowing which one it would have been a year ago, mm. instead of just saying, I think tech's a good place to be and, and reaping the benefits as a result. I'm so glad that you emphasize that, right? Because many of us, sometimes when we are real novice uh, retail investors, we tend to think, well, uh, whether it's uh, One Invest or Satrix uh, or Signia, ultimately they're giving me exposure to international markets, so their performance should be the same. Uh, what is it in the secret sauce that sees One Invest S&P 500 uh, Infotech Index uh, showing, what, 66% total return uh, uh, for this year versus the likes of Signia? Uh, and of course, taking into account some of the markets that e- these ETFs have exposure to. Yeah, so that, that that newsletter was earlier in the week, and we've had another couple of two strong days. So it's now seventy three percent up Whoa. year to date. That's sure. that's the underlying shares in the U.S. It's the currency move um, and and some dividends, but not very much in the way of dividends. This is quite a clever ETF, and it is my preferred in the the tech space on 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 the JC in terms of offshore tech ETFs. What it does is it says. The S and P 500, which is the 500 largest stocks in the in, in the US, uh, it looks at that universe and pulls out the tech stocks. So it ends up with 70 odd shares in it, but it's just the tech ones from the S and P 500, um, as opposed to, for example, the Nasdaq, which looks at the 100 biggest uh, stocks on the Nasdaq, which is almost anything excluding uh, uh, financials. So you get a, a slightly different blend, and I think at times a less pure blend. And it comes to the point of of understanding the the small nuances in terms of the construct. Mm, definitely. I think something else that we do need to be mindful of when it comes to uh, investing in ETFs is, of course, uh, any particular fees, costs, uh, and understanding the level of exposure that we do have to international markets. So as a, a reminder to novice investors and retail investors, you know, how to analyze some of those scopes uh, or, or variations in fees that we need to be mindful of. So there are a couple of fees. I mean, the first fee is is that the fund will charge you. The ETF has a, a fee. They deduct it from the dividends that 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 they pay you. Um, and it's it's. I mean, the expensive ones are are still well under one percent, and the cheap ones are at zero point one percent. Fees matter. Uh, essentially, fees are you giving away money to the provider, and we appreciate. The providers needed to be paid, their businesses, they need to make a profit. Um, but as an investor, we would like that profit to be as small as possible within reason so we can all, all, all benefit from it. Um, and then there's a transaction fee. You pay to practically buy, uh, and that would be through a broker or the like, uh, and there will be a transaction fee. And then many brokers these days also then charge an admin fee. But in terms of the transaction fee, very small, um, and the admin fee, uh, we, we've had the situation recently We easy equities equities used to not charge Mm. but now they've introduced the thrive uh, which i'm sure you spoke around and that now means you've got to jump some hoops to make sure no admin fee 100 percent. to close off with we know that uh, past performance is not an indicator of future performance (laughs) is the usual disclaimer right but uh, as we look ahead to 2024 some of the economic themes we should be mindful of and how that plays an influence on a few etfs that have a certain sector sectorial exposure uh which which sectors are you eyeing or which etfs do you think are best positioned for performance next year a tough one 
Look into I'm your st- glass ball. I, I'm, st- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still liking tech. I don't expect the same growth. To your point, past performances, no guarantee of future performance. This was a stellar year. I, I've never seen a year like this before on, on, on JC listed ETFs. It never, it, it's been a stellar year. It comes after what was a really rough year last year. So swings and roundabouts in that regard. Um, I still like tech. Uh, I, I, I like global markets um, in, in terms of, of you know, we, we, we're going to start seeing interest rates coming down. Inflation's come down already. Consumer gets into a slightly better space. It's generally good. We'll see the same in South Africa, um, and, and we should see some uplift in some of the consumer stocks. But if you buy a top 14 now, you get a lot of mining exposure, and I'm still not sure that next year is going to be the year for mining. Mm, I'm already worried about it. Just looking at uh, the value that's been eradicated, eradicated, yes, over the last few days, mm-hmm. uh, it does seem as though it's uh, quite a concern. And I'm assuming this is part of the ripple effect following Anglo's uh, production out uh, update and outlook last week. 100%. And, and the market, you know, Anglo's cutting production, which is weirdly... In, in the in the sort of medium term, it's actually bullish for commodities because commodity pricing is supply and demand, and they're taking some of the supply out of the market, um, and that should push prices a little bit higher. And this is typically what you see at the bottom of of of, of the cycle. Uh, it's the case of you know who blinks first, who pulls out first. Anglo's done a, a fairly big move, but we've seen some other shafts being closed here and there uh, across sectors as well. I think. In commodity prices, the the worst is behind us in terms of prices going lower. Iron oil and coal might fall a bit um, back to the hundred dollars a ton each, but I don't see it going higher much. And and so the mining companies are going to continue to struggle. They won't, I don't think, lose as much as they did this year. Implants of sixty six percent, which is a terrifying number, um, but I don't think they're going to start booming just yet. But that doesn't mean that all that glitters isn't gold because it actually is. If we take a look at your list again in terms of performance, one uh, Vesta gold ETF, new gold issuer as well, uh, um, new gold exchange traded fund. Those actually saw returns of about 24%, which tells us something. Does this mean by the uh, ETF with exposure to the commodity versus the mining um, institutions? So that's a great ETF, and and, and gold is a weird one. But the, the gold bulls have always told you that, or told us that gold does well in times of inflation and high interest rates, and that's what we've seen globally in the last two years. And gold has responded accordingly. And again, twelve percent of that return is rand weakness, but that's fine. It's just, it's return. You don't mind particularly how you get it. Um, but in this case, the 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 gold miners did significantly better, um, simply by by dint of the fact that they are. Um, uh, more leveraged. So as the price moves, their costs don't go up. So they end up making significantly more profit. So I, I mean, I hope your listeners are sitting down. How many gold is up 84% so far this Ooh. year? Okay. Um, and, and this is what a, 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 and gold fields lagging at, at 38. But this is what a, a single commodity miner will do when the commodity, in this case, gold runs higher. But you've got to try and call that. And that's hard to do. Definitely. Simon, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Truly appreciate your time and wishing you a wonderful holiday season and looking forward to touching base with you next year. 100% Gugu and congrats on best radio show in the country. Thank you, Simon. Truly appreciate it coming from you. (laughs) Thank you.
That's Simon Brown, founder of Just One Lab, joining us this evening, giving us a review of exchange-traded funds. And as you've heard, this particular article was shared on Monday. If you do receive the Just One Lab newsletter, if not, then make sure that you log on to the website and sign up for it, uh, where Simon is able to share phenomenal insight with you uh, in terms of uh, the performance and sectors to look out for and critical news flow. And if you do so just in time, well, you just might receive a newsletter giving you some expectations and forecasts for the year ahead. It's 24 minutes to 7 o'clock. This is Kaya Biz. Kaya Biz. With Google at 4P. On Kaya 959. On the street. On the air. You're listening to Kai Biz here on Kaya 959. And one of the biggest topics that we tend to talk about here on the show, because so many South Africans love it, is property, residential property. And of course, understanding whether to buy as a primary residence and first-time property purchases, those who are looking to maintain, those who are transferring and moving, and of course, those who are looking to seek exposure when it comes to investment opportunities. Well, we often uh, do want to look forward to what the year ahead does hold, but it's also critical that we do reflect on the 20. 23 residential property sector, which many could say has best been described by a series of highs and lows. And those highs and lows definitely have an influence on and have an impact on uh, inflation and interest rates and affordability and the sentiment. But of course, to help us discuss this further, we joined on the line by Managing Director of One Realty Property Group, Grant Smee. Grant, always a pleasure to have you with us and welcome to the show this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me, Guzzi. Fantastic. I guess this is uh, intriguing because for many of us, when we reflect on the dynamics we've witnessed for most of this year, uh, I uh, also um, noticed that we actually have had a challenge of uh, uh, the interest rates, inflation, and of course, the ongoing themes of understanding that it's been a buyer's market. But when you reflect on 2023 in the residential property space, what other key themes do stand out for you? Yes, I think, um, you know, I think the big thing that is for or has led uh, the market in 2023 is the the rental market. We've certainly seen a demand um, uh, and a lack of supply of good rental properties across the country, um, an increase in rentals and certainly a a return to to the norm in terms of um, rental payments and and rental payment profiles from tenants. So um, the rental market's certainly been very, very strong. The Western Cape has continued its... um, uh, performance over the last uh, that, that came out of COVID in terms of being a very strong uh, market for for sellers and um, you know so when you talk about a buyer's market I think that was in a very specific segments of the market but Western Cape has certainly outperformed itself again this year although we're seeing that slow down now towards the end of 2023. Very true and I guess uh, affordability is the main driver here and a concern right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the increasing interest rates have, have thrown a cog in the, or a spanner in the works for a lot of a lot of people looking to buy. Um, a lot of people also were buying at lower interest rates and are now suffering from the increasing interest rates, where it's affecting their affordability on an ongoing basis and the ability to afford the properties that they have purchased. So we've got this double-edged sword where where to get finance now you need to earn a lot more than you did two years ago and also when you bought two years ago it's a lot more expensive now to hold on to that property mm-hmm. and that's uh, interest rates but it's uh, also levies and rates and taxes 100 percent, and i'm glad that you've alluded to that because that also speaks to um, alternative energy <laughs> solutions many south africans either need to make investments to have a generator an inverter solar uh, and typically these are costs that weren't necessarily associated with home ownership right 
Yeah, exactly. I think um, you know, obviously, I mean, the the the, 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 the people are looking for alternative measures to sort of offset those effects of lack of infrastructure or the poor maintenance of infrastructure, as well as um, look at the savings that are made through these alternative sources. So, so it's um, something that is becoming a focal point for people to buy uh, properties and and um, is certainly differentiating a property from. Uh, others that are on the market, but at the moment, the problem with those solutions is they are quite expensive. So, you know, people need to look at where are they going to invest the money in terms of acquisition of a property as well as investment. And again, that leads to a really strong rental market where you don't necessarily need to buy; you you can rent, and it's, uh, from an affordability point of view, it's much cheaper to do so. Is this also likely going to be a theme going forward for the year ahead? Uh, and I'm assuming that interest rates, affordability, will also play uh, an, an, an influence in that particular regard. <coughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think the interest, the interest increases, you know, obviously we, we're hoping that they don't continue increasing. Um, there's a lot of, uh, sort of conversations around them staying stable for a while and then potentially decreasing towards the end of next year. But I think the impact of the increase in rates that has increased aggressively during 2023 is only going to really be felt next year because people's savings are being used to, to cover their lifestyle costs. So again, uh, one of the themes that we think is going to happen next year is a super strong rental market across the board, which becomes interesting for investors and current property owners, but also makes people aware that are looking to sell their properties that there's potentially going to be a lack of buyers in the market. Let's also take a look at what we're seeing in terms of uh, the choice of properties that uh, South African buyers are opting for. And uh, there's an interesting headline that you share in your article that home buyers will prioritize lifestyle over proximity to urban areas. Yes. That's intriguing. Yes, yeah, so- yeah, so I think that's an ongoing theme from again lockdown, where people were, were looking coming out of lockdown, looking to move out out of these really high dense high density uh, lifestyles, move away from apartments and flats and sectional title into sort of spaces where they could uh, had a bit more freedom and a bit more space. Um, and lifestyle has been prioritised. And We can see that even through the listed fund, uh, Bowen, who have been developing a lifestyle estates, and that's been super attractive for first time homeowners as well as. Um, people downscaling and, and looking to move. So I think that trend is going to continue, um, but South Africans will always prioritise security over lifestyle first and foremost. So that's why security estates and sectional title complexes and will remain um, in high demand. But uh, we've certainly seen people move out towards coastal areas. Again, that's immigration um, theme, but this immigration theme particularly spoke about Cape Town as a destination, which I think is becoming less less attractive now and people are looking to move to smaller smaller coastal towns mm. where there's a real affordability factor that comes into play. You can't think about the Western Cape property market and uh, not think that uh, there's a whole bunch of Hollywood superstars uh, that have uh, inflated prices yeah. there significantly. So is it still affordable, though, for us as South Africans, especially given this immigration theme that, that occurs? Yes, absolutely. So, so when we talk about the Western Cape we, and the Western Cape property market, we certainly have to segment um, the Atlantic seaboard away from anything else. The Atlantic yeah, seaboard, I, I think, by and large, is unaffordable for um, most South Africans and, and very much affordable for, for overseas investors. So, so segment the, the Atlantic seaboard out of it. The uh, city of Cape Town in particular as, as a, uh, a place to buy, there are certainly affordable places um, to purchase properties. But then you need to look at the larger Western Cape. So uh, down down the uh, garden route, there, there's some really affordable places there. Um, and, and those small towns are becoming very attractive. And then you talk about the south coast is becoming uh, uh, an interesting place again um, from an affordability play, uh, point of view. The south coast of KZN has really struggled over the last few years. But again, because of property price and opportunities there, um, we see buyers um, moving towards the south coast. And then the north coast over the last few years has been a super exciting place for for buyers to go be, and, and that's 
particularly because you've got that one hour flight from, mm. from, um, uh, King Shaka to, to Joburg. So it's a commutable space, um, moving to the north coast. In my mind, I'm thinking, so ditch Amanzim Toti and go to Lelusha? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, well, no, 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 I'm really not saying that. I don't want to sort of, but, but I think there's an, there's an opportunity out in the south coast, which is exciting for people. Got you. Grant, uh, as we wrap up, of course, we uh, need to take a look at what themes might remain for the year ahead. And uh, I'm intrigued that you've also mentioned in your newsletter that deals are to be had. So uh, perhaps an ongoing opportunity here for those who are looking uh, to either invest or purchase uh, their first primary home uh, in the residential space. Your thoughts yeah. on this one? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think the first thing is is people need to sort of um, uh, have some patience when they're looking to enter the market. I think the deals are coming. The effect and the hangover from this interest rate increase are going to sort of um, play play its part in the market next year and the year after. So there's certainly going to be an opportunity where people have bought properties that they can't necessarily afford and need to move on quite quickly. So there certainly are deals for both investors as well as home buyers to sit and wait and make sure that their credit profiles their affordability, their ability to pay deposits and, and their liquidity is in place so that they can take advantage of those opportunities. So, fixed, so yeah. there's certainly going to be distressed buyers. There's certainly going to be distressed buyers in the market in uh, in the in near few, or at least in 2024. Sure. Yeah. Very important one for us to note there. Uh, and maybe it's also fair for us to also reflect on some of the, the, the challenges that they do go through in the year ahead and how to mitigate um, uh, the loss of their homes uh, through the legal practices and finding alternative ways of managing their finances adequately. Because whilst there's opportunities for investors and buyers overall, we do need to be mindful of those who uh, perhaps have their pockets uh, under uh, a stretch. Always a pleasure speaking to you, Grant. And thank you so much for your time and your contribution to the show throughout the year. We truly appreciate we're really looking forward to having you back in 2024. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.